We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the hands of waiters, three seconds left for three in the win. Yes! Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Roto-Wire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, March 30th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Baruta. We are brought to you, as always, by the good folks at WinBet. Make sure you're checking out winbet.com. Plenty of sports to be wagering on these days. We got the final weekend of college basketball coming up. NBA playoffs just around the corner. MLB opening day in a little more than a week. So make sure you're checking out everything over at WinBet. Alex, you and I both watched Buck Sixers. Last night, inexplicably, not the national TV game. I had to do something. <clears throat> excuse me. I had to do something that I have not done in a very long time and hunt down a just ridiculous stream online that I was battling pop-ups left and right. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, I was able to find the game. It was blacked out on, on my local YouTube TV here uh, in the Milwaukee area. But I, how do we not have the flexibility at this point to get Lakers Mavs off of TNT? We, it was very clear in like mid-December that this was not going to be a good game. Uh, and yet, there we were, scrambling to find streams of the Buck sixers game. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they still wanted to showcase LeBron versus Luka, no matter, no matter what, the, um, what the stakes at that point. But it, yeah, you're right. It became very clear like months and months ago that this would be the better game. I mean, and once LeBron got hurt, I mean, I know there are contingencies here. I'm, right. I'm sure if they had the ability to swap those games, they would have, you know, there's, there's definitely a reason that they didn't uh, contractually. I don't know what that reason is, but man, we need, we need some more flexibility because especially with the way these last couple of years have gone with the amount of injuries and, and rest days and just, you know, stars missing time. There, there really are no guarantees when you look at the schedule. Like, I, I don't think, um, you know, like those, some of those like warriors grizzlies showdowns this season. Like if, if you looked at the schedule back in July or whenever it first came out, you weren't circling that game necessarily. Um, and to be fair, you know, probably back in October, Lakers Mavs did look like it would be a game that that ultimately has a lot of meaning. We'll get to the Lakers in a little bit. I, I have some thoughts. I I was on Vison last night. I know you're going on the show later tonight. So if you have Vison, make sure you're checking us out on there. Uh, but I, I got the they gave me like the Oscars music last night. I went on such a Lakers rant that I like went over our time and the poor host, Danny Burke, <laughs> was, was trying to end the show. And all of a sudden, I just start hearing music in my ears, and they're like, hey, hey, we got to go. We got to go. I got so fired up uh, talking about just how terrible this Lakers team has been. Uh, but before I get too far in this, Buck Sixers, really good game. I thought this was James Harden's best primetime game of the season. I, I was on Beeson saying, you know, I'm, I'm back in the Bucks here, and the Bucks did end up covering. They closed as one-point dogs on the road. But a big part of the reason I thought Milwaukee was going to win was the last few times Philadelphia has been in a big meaningful regular season game like this, you know, and beach played well, he's been varying degrees of efficient. He was fantastic. I thought last night, but James Harden has, has had some clunkers uh, even since coming to Philly. And that was not the case. I mean, other than, uh, you know, breaking what would have been the go ahead three in the final seconds, 32, nine and five for Harden four three pointers, nine of 17 from the field, even though it goes down as a loss 
for the Sixers. And, and honestly, it probably shouldn't have been as close as it was. There were some pretty lucky shots, in my opinion, and some kind of careless plays by the Bucks late in this game uh, that kept the Sixers in it. This was a really, really fun game. And I, I don't feel like if you're the Sixers, like obviously you don't want to lose to a great team at home. But I, I almost feel like this was an encouraging loss by Philly based on how some of their other big showdowns with the other teams in the East have gone lately. Yeah, I um, I kind of want to rewatch this game. Like, I I watched it live, but I was also working, and mm-hmm. I, I I I guess I felt like Harden's stat line was better than like the eye test because like yeah. when I was watching the game, I felt like Chris Middleton was like like doing a ton compared to not like better than Harden, but like he Middleton really stood out for me. Um, I don't know, man. Like this this. This was a matchup that um, also as a Bucks fan, you're still worried about the the Harden and B Sixers, even though they haven't looked as good lately. Like this is still a team you absolutely do not want to face. Um, you know, I think for me, the main thing is, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to exactly know what to grasp from this game. At some points, the Bucks were triple teaming Embiid. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, yeah, you know, Lop- Lopez is a big body, so he can kind of stop Embiid from backing him down a ton. But the Bucs were also sending a ton of help. And then sometimes they were sending a guy like complete blindside help to basically just go for a block from behind, which was crazy. And I don't think Embiid took advantage of that as much as he could have. Um, and I'm a little surprised the, the Bucs went with that strategy mm-hmm. instead of saving it for the playoffs. But um, I mean, uh, I guess the main thing ultimately here is that Young has had an absolutely insane game. Insane game. Yeah, I mean, statistically, Giannis has had better games this season, but I mean, this was this was dominant. 15 straight points at one point. I think that was in the third quarter uh, when Milwaukee made a run after giving up almost 40 points in the second. Uh, he had that play to, to, to close, I, I think it was the second quarter or the third quarter where he you know, had like four seconds to get down court and ends up kind of doing this crossover dribble where he essentially throws the ball out in front of him. You've probably seen the highlight by now if, if you're listening to this. And, and is able to basically beat the entire Sixers defense down for a last second dunk. I mean, he was, he was in full control. I think the only complaint that you saw late in the game was, you know, and this is a little bit nitpicky. I, I was surprised how many, were, how many people on Twitter were jumping on Giannis for this, but you know, he didn't get rid of the ball uh, with, I think it was under 10 seconds left when, when Philly had to foul and, you know, they went for a, a trap and didn't get it. And the ball ends up in the hands of Giannis and you probably want him dumping that off <laughs> to Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday in that situation. Yeah. But I mean, we're to the point now where that's really it's really the only true criticism that you can make of Giannis at this point is he's just not he's not a good free throw shooter and he's made progress in that area. It really seems like that game six against Phoenix in the finals was somewhat of a turning point because leading up to that, it was looking like he was regressing, if anything. And, and he's never going to be an 80 percent guy. He's never going to be an 85 percent guy. But if he can just hover in the 70 to 75 range, I think at this point you'll take that. You know, three-point wise, still never going to be a massive threat there, but he's pretty consistently over 30% at this point, which for a guy who had like no jump shot from three a couple years ago is not that bad. And over his last 20 games, he's he's hovering at 35% on over three and a half attempts per game. So it's becoming it's hopefully trending in the right direction if you're Milwaukee uh, heading into the playoffs. But but yeah, that was those are my, my takeaways. Um, I, I noticed the Embiid thing as well. I, I think the way that they can defend him with Brooke Lopez makes a huge, huge difference. Just like Lopez didn't really do anything spectacular in this game. I, I don't even know if he had a block. I don't think he did only had a couple rebounds as usual, but just being there as a body, like when he guards Embiid, he just bodies him up and puts his hands out and is just, I'm here. I, I know I, I don't have the athleticism to like shut you down or anything, but you know, that's not something that Bobby Portis offers. That's not something really that Serge Ibaka who barely played in this game offers. Uh, but at the same time, like still having Ibaka, as that depth piece going into the playoffs, I think it's going to be huge for Milwaukee because that was, that was a pretty glaring issue last season, even when Lopez was healthy. Yeah. Baca only got three minutes in this game. Um, committed a foul immediately. I, I agree with you on Lopez, like just having a player that big to just stand in front of Embiid is huge. That's why I was so worried when I really didn't think Lopez was coming back or would look very good at all. Just because back surgery is back surgery. Mm-hmm. And they did it relatively late in the year. And my concern was the Bucks were just they have literally nobody to guard Joel Embiid. Like you mentioned, be Portis. Giannis would try, but he can only do so much while he's also, you know, doing so much on offense. And I thought they would just get destroyed. But 
you have Lopez standing there doing that, and then on the pick and rolls, you have Lopez sagging back to protect the rim against Hargan's drives. You know, because Hargan just loves to drive. Hargan's not going to shoot a mid-range jumper. So you don't worry about Lopez having to come up on those pick and rolls. So I think the Bucks do play a really uh, – they have a good setup to guard um, the Embiid, Harden stuff. And obviously they got guys who play the passing lanes, holidays, bothering everybody, um, physical enough to guard James Harden. Giannis sticks his arms in the passing lanes, can come up for help side block. So mm-hmm. I think they're in a good position to defeat the 76ers you know, in the playoffs, assuming it comes down to that at some point. Yeah, I think so too. I, I still feel like Milwaukee – has that highest floor and I've been saying it all season. They, there have been times this season where they tried to kind of prove me wrong. I think in that respect, but like even when this game got tight down the stretch, it, it really felt like it was the Sixers despite being the home team and, you know, ostensibly having two superstars where Milwaukee, you know, technically only has one. It felt like they were the team that was a little more out of sorts, uh, a little more scrambly down the stretch and, and Milwaukee just, I, I think this comes with winning the title. You just get this quiet, you know, we got this type of confidence. And when you have guys like Middleton and holiday are on that list of players who just exude, you know, that kind of emotion, like they, they don't really say a whole lot. And then you look up and like Drew holiday had nine assists in the first half of this game. I think he had seven assists in his first 10 minutes played. Middleton was great. Uh, I, I thought, I actually thought I was a little more impressed with some of the shots that holiday was hitting some of the touch, uh, you know, high over Embiid uh, right. floater type of shots in the lane. I thought he was fantastic in this game. I do think it's interesting if you look at the DraftKings Sportsbook, and this is updated since the Robert Williams injury, the Sixers have fallen behind Boston, and they're they're also behind Brooklyn and Milwaukee in terms of odds to win the Eastern Conference. So Boston's at plus 425, Philly's at plus 450, Miami at 5-1. to one. Do you agree with that? Uh, ooh, that's tough. Uh, I think Boston without Robert Williams, you know, these last couple of weeks for Boston – they're just going to be so huge because so much of the revival is was literally based around Robert Williams shifting on defense from a basket protector, like primary basket protector, guy guarding centers to we're going to stick him out of the wing and he's going to play help side. That's a huge reason why they got better. And now he's just completely gone. So I'm not going to say Boston's going to like slip back to how basically a 500 team like they were before they started doing this. Like it's hard for me. I mean, their their entire game plan has basically been destroyed. It's like the Bucks without Brooke Lopez. People are like, what's going on with the Bucks? What's going on with the Bucks? Well, they lost their defensive anchor and they just don't look that good. Now they have Lopez back. Now they look amazing. So yeah, I mean, it's still hard to as far as Brooklyn goes, hard to discount them, obviously, because of Katie and Kyrie. There are tons of we can just keep saying that over and over again. But now Seth Curry's banged up. Obviously, you're not going to have Joe Harris. It really does not like seem like Ben Simmons is coming back. And their path is going to be extremely difficult. So they're going to have to, I mean, if they land as the eighth seed, the seventh seed, whatever, they're going to have a really tough path. So for me, I'd rather bet on Milwaukee or Philly um, than, than Boston or, or Brooklyn, for sure, for sure. Okay, it is time for another round of Monkey Knife Fight picks. We got a loaded Wednesday night slate. In the NBA, we're looking at a three by three tonight. So 5x our money if we go three for three with our picks. We're going to start with Luka Doncic. 30 and a half points is the line for Luka. We went less last night uh, for Doncic against the Lakers, uh, a game that I thought would be a blowout. It was a blowout. Uh, Turns out Doncic uh, only needed 30 minutes to get to 34 points. He had 25 in the first half, ended up having a triple-double through three quarters. I'm not letting that happen again. I know Dallas is on a back-to-back, but I'm not getting burned twice. We're going more on 30 and a half for Luka Doncic. Cleveland should be able to put up enough of a fight in this game, even without its two big men, uh, that we see Doncic play more than those 30 minutes that he played last night. Next up, we have DeAndre Ayton. 10 and a half rebounds for DeAndre Ayton. The Phoenix Suns, of course, taking on the Golden State Warriors tonight. Aiton's been rebounding well of late. He's got double-digit rebounds in five of his last six games. Uh, that 140-130 win over Denver last week, uh, the only game in which he has not had at least 10 boards during that stretch. I'm going to go more here. I, you know, Golden State, uh, outside of Kevon Looney, a little bit undersized. You know, A lot of minutes with Draymond Green at center. Uh, I, I think there's some advantageous matchups for DeAndre Ayton tonight. So I'm going to go more on 10.5 boards for DeAndre Ayton. To finish out, we're sticking with the Phoenix Suns and we're going with Chris Paul. Ten and a half assists 
is the number for Chris Paul tonight. This is a tough one. It's his third game back, but he played 36 minutes against Philly on Sunday. So the workload does not appear to be an issue whatsoever. He's got 27 total assists in his first two games back. That's 27 assists in 66 minutes. Assuming this game is relatively close and you never really know what you're getting with this Curryless version of the Warriors who've been really all over the place since he went out. But Chris Paul has not missed a beat. The injury didn't seem to affect him at all. 13 assists and 14 assists in those two games. Hard for me to look at him and say he's going less on 10 and a half tonight. So we're going to go three for three. It's a sweep for the more. More on 10 and a half assists for Chris Paul. More on 10 and a half boards for DeAndre Ayton. And more on 30 and a half points for Luka Doncic. Those are our monkey knife fight picks for tonight. Make sure you're going to monkeyknifefight.com. Sign up there, claim that 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And I've been telling you guys this over, and of course, I've been telling you guys this over and over the last few weeks. Make sure you're using our promo code RWNBA. That's RWNBA. That'll get you a free $10 NBA contest ticket. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more. All that is at your fingertips with the WinBet app. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or even try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states. Those nine states are Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, and it's rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today, make a qualifying deposit, and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. Thrive Fantasy is back for another season of fantasy basketball, and they're running guaranteed contests every single day this NBA season. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus only on the top tier players who have the biggest impact on the game. Sign up today and you'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription. Here's how you claim that free Rotowire subscription. Step one, visit rotowire.com slash thrive. That's T-H-R-I-V-E, thrive. Step two, deposit a minimum of $10 and you'll receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Step three, play in your first paid contest and you will then receive that free six-month Rotowire subscription. Infinite value with that subscription. You'll get full access to everything on rotowire.com, all sports, all of our optimizers, everything you need to become the best fantasy player and sports better that you can be. Check out thrivefantasy.com to learn more. Thrive Fantasy, an official partner of Rotowire. I think with Boston, it just comes down to the timeline for Williams, right? I mean, if we if we get news that... You know, and I, I, I feel like I've read the same thing with so many guys who have the meniscus where it's like, well, we, we can shave it. We can do the full removal. We can, you know, do the surgery and that's going to take longer. Like, I have no idea what path he's going to take. But if he's back for the second round of the playoffs and let's say Boston gets, you know, a banged up Cavs team or they, they get Toronto in round one or a team like Charlotte sneaks in. Like, if that's their round one matchup, they should be able to get through that without Williams. And if he's coming back, you know, I, I think maybe that elevates them back to this level that we were pretty much ready to put them on before this injury happened on Sunday. But it, it's a mess. It remains a, a jumbled mess. I, I was talking to some Bucks fan friends this morning and they asked me, uh, they're like, in your opinion, which team should we be most scared of in order in the Eastern Conference? And it took me a long time to, to come up with a list. And I really didn't feel that great about it at the end of the day. Um, I, I mean, I'm interested to get your opinion on that. I, I think for me, I, I, I know Brooklyn is the favorite. They've been the odds on favorite all year. I just, I, I don't think that this Brooklyn team with, you know, Ben Simmons potentially not coming back at any point, we have no idea what's going on there with a like C plus supporting cast around KD and Kyrie at best. Um, yeah. You know, they beat this team last year. Obviously it was a depleted version, but I just, I don't think that the Bucs are looking at themselves and saying, man, I, I hope we don't run into the Nets at some point. Yeah, not not, the, not necessarily this version of Brooklyn. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that their supporting cast is just not very good. I mean, the Kyrie situation, now he can play home games. That's great, but, you know, they just, like, <laughs> did not have an easy time with Detroit uh, last night. Lost to Charlotte before that. Mm-hmm. Got a nice win over Miami. Got destroyed by, not destroyed, but they lost by 12 to Memphis. Like, even though they're they're kind of, they're about as close to full strength as they will be, presumably, um, they just aren't really getting it done and i do think that speaks to their their supporting cast which is bad and you just one through six one through seven the bucks are just way deeper like it's not it's not even a discussion um and so to me i still you know and you mentioned the robert williams timeline that throws things into a loop because uh we also thought james wiseman was coming back from a meniscus injury this year and he missed the entire year so like i i have no idea what to believe on these like, I think they're hopeful that he'll come back in four weeks. I think it's like a best-case scenario. Yeah. I, I just – I don't know. And then so I still keep coming back to Philly, though. Like, as – you know, as – as uh, they've been up and down since getting Harden. They beat up on a lot of bad teams. They've collapsed down the stretch of some games. Just that talent level. Um, and they're a relatively deep team as well with like Maxi, and they have Tobias Harris is now like a fourth option, which is a great fourth option. I um, still would not want to face them. No, no. And and I think you could poke holes in pretty much every team in the East. And that includes Milwaukee, but I, I think they maybe have the fewest holes of any of these teams. Um, you know, there's a lot to like with Miami. I think they're similarly built to Milwaukee. They just don't have that overwhelming Giannis piece. You know, like I, I like Jimmy Butler. I like Bam Adebayo. Those guys are not on the same level of, of Giannis that we saw last night. You know, and I think I think that's right. what makes Milwaukee the most dangerous team. And I don't know, like in a Brooklyn matchup, I just it, like Brooklyn would need Kyrie and KD to combine for how many points a game? I mean, close to eighty, I think, for <laughs> for them to win that series. I was gonna say seventy. Yeah, but yeah, I was like 30, 35. Right. I mean, Joe Harris is not coming back. I, you know, the Ben Simmons piece is like I, I almost think if you're like let's say you're the Bucks and you're playing the Nets in in the second or the third round, and Ben Simmons is making his debut in the playoffs. Like I almost think you want that, right? Like trying to fit a super unique puzzle piece in on the fly in the playoffs, like that. I almost think Brooklyn might be better off just doing the Wiseman thing with Simmons. Yeah, I mean that's that uh, that could be the case. It can throw stuff for a loop a little bit, you know. Like if you're trying to, especially because Ben Simmons is such a specific type of player. Like unless you're throwing him out there to literally just play defense and like tell him to pretend to be Andre Drummond on offense. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how it could work. But I don't know. That also feels like a, just like you're trying to really force it. He's coming off the injury and stuff like that. I just, do you think we see Simmons again this year? Jeez. I, it really doesn't seem like we will. Um, I, there's basically been no positive indications whatsoever. Right. I mean, it's, it's turning into like Zion territory where it's like every yeah. update is bad. And then even like a decent updates followed up by a bad update. Like he got the, he got the, the shot, the epidural and there's, you know, our note, uh, our player note from yesterday, which you wrote no progress towards right. any encore work. It's yeah. You can like, tell like the quote from Steve Nash was hilarious. He was just like, I don't even want to talk about this. And honestly, that's how it's, that's how it started to sound with Steve Kerr and James Wiseman. Where When I saw that Wiseman news, I was like, this just seems like they did this out of frustration. 100%. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm trying to think of, so if we go back to last season and we look at, uh, looking at the series against the Bucks, like who, who was really playing for the Nets, right? So you had Joe Harris play 260 minutes in the series, terrible from three. So you're not getting him at all, even though he was bad. Blake Griffin was third on the team in minutes. He's not even, he doesn't even play basketball for them anymore. Bruce Brown is fourth, still good. Kyrie, Obviously good. He only ended up playing four games against Milwaukee, so you're worried about that. Hargan's not there, so that's a zero. Then you you get down to like Shamit and Jeff Green, which I guess is basically Seth Curry and like Drummond now. Um, it's not so like I get it. No, it's not. It's not. No, my my point with the Nets is not that they're not a dangerous team. You know, when I when I say Milwaukee doesn't fear them, that doesn't mean that Milwaukee is wel- welcoming a matchup with Kevin Durant. I mean, he's, he's still the most dangerous, uh, I think, you know, scoring threat uh, in the league and, and continues to prove that on a near nightly basis. But I, I just, I think it's ridiculous that this team is getting so much respect in terms of the odds. I mean, to still be the title favorite coming out of the East, to, to be sitting at plus two fifty 
uh, when a team like Philly is at plus 450, Miami's at five to one. Like, I, I think they belong in that mix, absolutely. But I, I don't think they should be the odds on favorite. I don't know. I don't know what they've done, uh, you know, to earn that kind of respect. Because as much as I love KD, like, he's not quite on, you know, what that, that, 2011 to 2018 LeBron, where it was like, just put four guys on the court around him and you're going to the finals. And granted it was a weak Eastern conference. I, I know all that, but I, like, I, I love Kevin Durant. He's not quite to that level where it's just an automatic. He'll beat whoever's in front of him. Not with this team. No, not with this team. This team is pretty bad. Um, you know, I, I mean, Durant's been amazing. I like, I, I, we, we can't like put aside individually how, great Kevin Durant is, but nobody has, nobody's been being, you know, nobody's been saying like, ah, Durant, you know, he's doing all right. Like, no, we all acknowledge that, you know, like, yeah, he, he's only played like 50 games this season, but he's basically a fringe MVP candidate. Um, even with that being the case, like he's insane. I just, um, the fact that they've struggled like all year. And again, I know Kyrie's been out a lot, but Harden was playing a lot of those games. You're just replacing a lot of like, Harden with Kyrie and it's you know I don't have a ton of faith yeah the last point I'll say on this is Giannis exceeds Durant in almost every statistical category other than three-point shooting and free throw shooting that's it you know it's like I I, I could see the argument for Brooklyn over a team like Miami um you know even over teams like Philly and, and Boston like I get I guess I kind of get that like Miami doesn't have a star Brooklyn has the star in Durant there, there's that but I don't think that the gap between Durant and these other guys that we're talking about, like Giannis and Embiid, I don't think that gap is is very big at all. I, I think it's actually extremely minuscule at this point. Well, and when you, yeah, and then when you think about like individual matchups, the Bucks just straight up man to man match up pretty well against Brooklyn. Like, obviously, there's no great answer for oh, Ky- yeah. or for for Durant, but you're going to put Giannis on him and some Middleton, Lopez versus Andre Drummond. It's not even close. You have mm-hmm. you know Drew Holiday. And like Grayson Allen to bother Kyrie Irving and those guys, like Kyrie's not gonna be able to guard Drew in the same way. So, you know, and we saw it some last year as well. Like that doesn't always, you know, work perfectly. But it's not like this is some, you know, the Bucks have the matchup advantage and have been better all season and have a like pretty comparable number one guy. Right. The Nets are not a great defensive team, and the Bucks are very well positioned against teams that can be beaten by the, we'll let this guy get his strategy. You know, I, I think Milwaukee excels at that. Um, and, and obviously Brooklyn has two of those guys and that makes it a little more difficult. But when there, when there's an argument to be made that you could just, you know, do, do whatever you can to limit Durant and Kyrie and make Andre Drummond and Bruce Brown uh, and Nicholas Claxton beat you. Uh, those seem to be the matchups that Milwaukee does well with. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, we, we had Paul George finally back in action last night, uh, much to the dismay of my stake league team. Uh, he's taunting me late in the season, uh, but looked really good uh, in his first game back. Huge come from behind win for the Clippers who were down 32 to 14 at the end of the first quarter. They were still down big, uh, even heading into the fourth, uh, had a 39 point fourth quarter uh, spurred on in part by Paul George, who finished with 34 points in 31 minutes, six, three pointers, uh, six assists, four steals, just, Fantastic. I, I thought he'd be a little bit more limited playing for the first time uh, since late December, but I don't know, man, there, there's starting to be rumblings about Kawhi, uh, nothing definitive whatsoever. I mean, obviously the Clippers only have like six more games. So time is very much running out uh, for him to get any sort of ramp up period. But I don't know there's, there's a reason that the Clippers have kind of been hanging around. And when you, when you start to shop around at a lot of the odds, like they never quite dropped as low as they should have. 
uh, just because I feel like there was always this thought in, in the back of your mind that at least one of these guys and maybe both of those guys uh, could be back for the playoffs. Well, yeah. If you know where to look, you can get them at uh, plus 2,300 to win the Western Conference, which is not really an endorsement, but would you rather bet on them with the potential that Kawhi and Paul George and Norman Powell even will be healthy than take the same odds on the Timberwolves? Like if we're just talking between those or even the Nuggets at plus 1,500, um, which who knows, they could be frisky, but Michael Porter Jr. suffered a setback in his recovery, big surprise. Um, I, I, for one, am shocked to hear that. Yes. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean if, if, if there's upside there. Yeah. I mean, if Paul George and Kawhi come back, then this is, it's just one of the best teams in the league. Like, I don't know how else to, I like, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but, um, like Phoenix should obviously still be number one, but you have this Morant injury, which it seems like he'll be healthy for the playoffs. Seems like it. But if I were them, I still wouldn't want to go up against the Clippers, potentially. Golden State, I mean, you have Curry's down. So it's possible the the Clippers walk into a soft first-round matchup. And even if Kawhi's not healthy, if you have Paul George and Norman Powell, and obviously they're really well-coached, have been all year, it'll get a little interesting. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, suddenly, you know, if that if they're the eight seed in the West, if that's how it breaks, and and you're the Suns facing off against that team, I mean, yeah, the Suns should and and I think would win that series, uh, assuming Kawhi is not back. But that is far from the cakewalk that you thought you might be getting when you know maybe you're playing the the Pelicans or the Lakers or whoever it might be. Um, and the way things break, I mean, the Clippers are the eight right now; they're essentially locked into that spot. Uh, but of course, could move up to the seven based on the play-in. Uh, it, it, I mean, it adds even just having Paul George back, it adds like a little more variance. I, I don't think without Kawhi, this team is not a true title contender. I, I, I would, would certainly not go that far. And I, I don't think that many people would, but you know, you, like you said, you start to kind of mention some of the flaws with these other teams, like this Clippers team plus Paul George, is, is it really that much worse than Dallas? Is it really that much worse than this Utah team that it just beat last night and a Utah team that no one in the world, not even people in Salt Lake city, you have any faith in, in a playoff series, you know, Denver, you know, could still be without Porter and Murray. Uh, like suddenly there's a path for them to at least make a little bit of a run here, depending on what the matchups would be. Yeah, I agree. You also just reminded me like, have we gotten like any good news on no, no good news on Jamal Murray at all. Um, no. Crazy. I think, uh, yeah, man, I, I just, I agree. Like if it's, the, the Utah thing is really throwing a wrench into things. And obviously, like you mentioned, like I like Doncic, that team. I don't really know what their upside is. But yeah, I it's it's hard for me to really I can't talk down at a Kawhi Paul George Clippers team. Like I just can't. If they're if they're gonna be healthy, you know, then they are in contention. Um the, the, I guess the question is like how many minutes is Kawhi Leonard playing off the bat. Does he miss the entire first round? Because if he misses the entire first round and they go up against Memphis, it's going to be pretty tough. I think it'll be competitive. It'll still be really tough for them just with Paul George. Um, but if he can get into the second round, Kawhi and, and play start playing 30 minutes, then uh, things are going to get, things are going to heat up pretty quickly. You mentioned the Morant thing, and I'm surprised more people aren't talking about this in the same way that everyone's just assuming that Steph Curry is going to be back for round one. And, and there it should be noted, there is almost a full week between the end of the regular season and the start of the playoffs, which, which will begin uh, for every team, either the 16th or the 17th of April. But I mean, John Morant is set to be reevaluated a week from tomorrow, next Thursday, the seventh. We don't know what that reevaluation is going to show. Like, it's not like he's for sure coming back that day. Um, and you know, best case scenario is they say, okay, you're good. And he plays two games to end the regular season. And then you start the playoffs. Like, I, this is a bigger deal, I think, than than, than the Grizzlies are letting on or that people are, are willing to grasp. I mean, I certainly I hope that he's good to go for the playoffs. That would be a, a really rough way to end this season if, if they have to start the playoffs and John Moran is not 100%. But it's definitely not a guarantee at this point. And if, if all of a sudden you're looking at a Warriors team at number three that could be without Curry or, or could have Curry limited and a, a Grizzlies team at two that has Morant banged up with his knee injury – I mean, at that point, things are just breaking ridiculously well for the Suns. Uh, yeah, 100%. They may they may easily coast to the mm -hmm. NBA Finals uh, at that point. 
And I, I still think they're they're probably my favorite bet overall. Like if I had to bet a single future, Suns to win the Western Conference, you know, uh, you can get at plus one thirty. Yeah. That's I think that's my I think that's just my favorite futures bet right now of of like the playoff futures. Yeah, Suns plus two ninety right now at DraftKings to win the title as well. Uh, one team that I do not believe will be in the playoffs is the LA Lakers, <laughs> and uh, you know I. I Kind of stop myself. Good self control by me at the top to, to not go too far into this, but man, uh, LeBron officially ruled out uh, for their next game against Utah. That's going to be a, another automatic loss. Anthony Davis not going to play in that game either. Uh, that's another back to back. The Lakers play Thursday, Friday. Um, they, they play the Pelicans on on Friday night. I would imagine that there's a pretty good chance LeBron sets that one as well if he's already been ruled out this far in advance for Thursday night. It's really not looking good. I, I mean, I, I can't find odds on the Lakers making the play-in. Um, there's there's two make-the-playoffs odds on DraftKings, which would, um, you know, that, that would mean that they get through the play-in and actually make the eight-team field. And that has dropped now all the way down to plus 600. So the Lakers are 6-1 to one to get the 7 or the 8 seed in the West. Honestly, to me, that feels like that. that's not a good bet at all. That's not happening. They have the third toughest schedule remaining. They still play Phoenix. They still play Golden State. They still play Utah. They play Denver twice. They play New Orleans. And then they're, they're really only quote unquote easy opponent is OKC. And correct me if I'm wrong, but did, did they not already lose twice to OKC and blow big leads in both games? Am I misremembering that? That sounds right. I know they lost at least once to OKC. That is a, that is a brutal end of the year for a team that is not healthy and has been struggling all season. And um, just, I, uh, I, it is kind of inconceivable to imagine this going worse, right? Yeah. I, th- yeah, I think I, this I, is like the worst case scenario, given the players that um, are involved. And, you know, I mean, Davis has only played 37 games, right? LeBron's at 55. But obviously, like when those guys play, like it's still been bad. It's not like they've lost literally every single game. Those guys have. Uh, yeah, they're under okay. 500 with Davis in the lineup. Like that to me, that doesn't even matter. And and the other thing with Davis is it's not you know, this isn't a Lillard situation where he has a decade's worth of missing like six games or fewer. You know, it's like oh well, Davis only played 39 games. Well, what do you expect next year? It's not like you're going to be like oh well, he'll, he'll come back and play 75 next year. It's like this is who <laughs> this guy is. Like I mean, you kind of signed up for it, and and he stayed healthy two years ago, and you won the title, and it worked out great. But I mean that 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 was kind of the sneaky other thing here is that. You know, once it became clear that you know this team was going to be battling for like the seven, eight seed at best, I, I never really bought into that argument of like, well, if Davis can make it back, they'll be fine because they weren't even fine when he was at full strength. No, no, they weren't. Um, yeah, I just, I, I didn't think it would go this bad. I thought they'd be good. Like, I know the Westbrook fit wasn't amazing. I still thought they'd be good. Um, it was definitely not amazing. <laughs> uh, no. No, I still I still thought they'd be a little more than just competitive. It's 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 crazy to me, man. Um and people want to say like, oh, they could have had DeRozan. I think that's revisionist history. Uh nobody thought DeRozan was gonna be playing like this. I mean, I think people like I think you like you and I understood that DeRozan is probably better than people were giving him credit for when he was on the Spurs, but nobody thought like, oh yeah, like he'll be a fringe MVP candidate. Like, you know, people would have rather like in the offseason been like, Yeah, you should go get Buddy Heald. Like, do that instead of like trying to make this DeRozan thing work. Um, so it's crazy. I don't even know what they do next year. I like, I, you obviously you try to trade Westbrook. I don't think they're going to try to trade Anthony Davis, uh, but they're really inflexible and I don't know what's going to, I don't know what's going to be different next year other than like major, major trades, which again, mm-hmm. you're getting probably nothing back for Westbrook. So the only real shakeup you could do, it's basically just hoping either Westbrook being gone makes you suddenly good again, or you you try to trade Anthony Davis and like see what's out there. They hit the trifecta of Westbrook being a terrible fit, Davis getting hurt, and going like 0 for 8 on all the role players that they signed. Yep. Like none of those guys have given them positive value at all. Occasionally Malik Monk has, uh, but but even he, you know, cannot cannot rescue like the, the rest of these role players uh from the depths of hell. Last night, by the way. And, and this streak will extend at least two more games. Uh, 35 straight games they have gone now without back-to-back wins. That is insane. That is so hard to do in the NBA. Like, if you look like, you're probably thinking like, oh, the Magic never win back-to-back. Like, yes, they do. E- even the bad teams, like, <laughs> we'll just, we'll win like three out of four 
every now and then. The Lakers have not won back-to-back games since the first week of January. And there's a pretty good chance they're going to go the rest of the year without winning back-to-back games. Like that is, it, there's no good way to look all that up. I'd have to do it by hand. And maybe, I, maybe I'll get so frustrated that eventually I will do this. But for a team with LeBron James to not have back-to-back victories for likely 40-plus games to conclude a season, man, that is, that's just emblematic of, of what this team has become. And, and yeah, like you said, there's not a, there's not a, wow, this was a disaster, but everything will be better next year type of solution here. I mean, they, they have sent themselves down the river with this crew. And I think any hope of LeBron aging gracefully and, you know, kind of taking the Chris Paul plan where, you know, you have a nice supporting cast around him and a lot of nights he's playing 28 to 30 minutes and, you know, the game is basically over by the early in the fourth quarter. Like that's not going to happen. Like even, no matter what you do, uh, whether it means trading Westbrook or kind of reshuffling the terrible supporting cast, like if this team's going to have success next year, it's going to be LeBron once again playing like 38 plus minutes a game because you don't have the resources or the wherewithal to to put that kind of team around him at this point. I uh, I looked this up quick. So the, the year that they won the NBA title, they did not have back-to-back losses until December 17th. So they were 24 and four before their back-to-back, their uh, the second loss in a back-to-back loss last season, obviously a shortened season that started at Christmas or December 22nd. But they again did not have back-to-back losses until January 28th. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were 14 and five before that second loss. So, I mean, that's like, obviously it's just, it's crazy. Like I, that stat is insane, man. Back-to-back wins. Like, you just fall into back-to-back wins. Like, you just get a soft schedule, and the other team is on zero days rest, and you have three days, and just, it's mind-blowing that they could not string together two straight uh, wins in, like, 35 games. They played the Pacers and the Magic back-to-back in mid-January <laughs> and found a way to lose one of those games. Uh, they, I mean, they had, they had a stretch where they played the Hornets, Hawks, Blazers, Clippers, and Knicks in a row and could not win back-to-back games during that stretch. Like, yeah, like you said, you catch teams on the right night. Uh, you know, the other night, like, for example, it looked like we were going to have a, a not like a monster showdown between the Celtics and the Raptors, and all of a sudden the Celtics hold out. You know, Al Horford has a personal issue. Robert Williams gets hurt. They just hold out Tatum and Brown, and the Raptors get a win. You know, it's like, how has that not happened just one time over the course of 35 games? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. So I, I, I mentioned this to you off-air, and, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see if, if – you know, what's been running through your mind in the half hour since has Russell Westbrook had the single most damaging season in terms of his reputation in NBA history. And we are not counting, you know, Gilbert arenas, bringing guns to the arena, uh, legal issues, sexual harassments, things of that nature, purely from a basketball perspective, has any player fallen off in the minds of the public faster and harder than what Russell Westbrook has this season. So off the top of my head, no, I feel like there has to be other strong candidates. I also do feel like this is sort of like a, it's a sort of like a three-year slide. Um, like the the Houston, Washington, LA trifecta, I think has just really like taken its toll. And like, I think people who were kind of locked in have realized that Westbrook's been like a pretty bad playoff player for like half a decade already. Like if you just look at, Westbrook's last uh, 29 playoff games. Okay. So he hasn't gotten out of the first round since 2015, 16. Okay. You look at his last 29 playoff games. uh, He's shooting 39% from the field, 29% from three, four and a half turnovers, eight and a half assists. Like that's just a bad player. Um, So, but this, this particular single season, is tough man who's who else came to mind for you so i had two who came to mind and i also should note that injuries don't count you know like we're yeah. not going to say victor oladipo uh you know because he, he had an injury that he's just never come back from like yeah he fell off but not for the same reasons like that's i almost think what makes this worse for westbrook is you know and the other the other player that people always bring up is iverson and you know when i think when you check the, the basketball reference pages like at the end of westbrook's career and, and you see this gauntlet run of you know, Houston, Washington, Lakers, it's very similar to Iverson's, you know, tours with like the Grizzlies and the Pistons and all that. But by the end of it, like what he was, Iverson was like not showing up to practice, was like openly defiant. Like his heart was not in it at that point. Like what makes this 
significantly sadder for Westbrook is he is fully healthy. He's barely missed any games this year. And, you know, seemingly he's trying his hardest and it's just, it's just gone that badly. Um, you know, he's not, he's not out gambling and doing whatever till 5am. Like it, he, he's doing what he's, what he's been doing essentially the last 10 years and it's just stopped working for him. Um, so the names that came to mind for me, and, and I'll say right away, I don't think either of these guys fell off as hard, uh, but I think their reputations took pretty big hits, especially one of them. Uh, and that, that is Dwight Howard uh, when he, Ooh. when he went to the Lakers and the Lakers had that, you know, disastrous first season with him and Steve Nash and everybody's getting hurt. I, th- I think they got the eight seed and ended up just getting swept out of the playoffs or something like very, very similar to this year. I, I think they were, they were more competent. Um, but a lot of the same questions, you know, a lot of the same frustrations, like no consistency, uh, the team just didn't fit and fair or not fair Dwight, I think shouldered a lot of the blame for that. So Dwight hasn't played on the same team for consecutive seasons since 2014, 15 into 15, 16 with the Rockets, but on a different team every year for basically the past five years. So I think that's a good one. My, I think to me, the only thing that doesn't make it the same is that he, he has notable back issues, right? Like that, right. That became a part of his career arc basically after LA, I think, you know, Houston. I remember, I remember like the back issues becoming a real thing while he was in Houston. And I th- I do think that has affected like his athleticism a lot. You see how much weight he's lost over the past, yeah. like three, four years. But I, that's a good one in general. Like, I think that's a pretty fair comparison. That was one where it wasn't fair. Like, all the Westbrook criticism this year feels very fair based on how he's played. Whereas Dwight, it, it felt like, was the the target of all this harassment when, in reality, his his numbers were, like, almost identical to what he did the previous year in Orlando when he was the top three MVP candidate. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, I, once he got to Houston and the back issues set in, um, he, he at least had that excuse to point to. Although, you know, when his tour of every team in the NBA started in 2015-16, like he played 71 games in 15-16, 74 the next year, 81 the year after that. Started started 81 games for the Hornets. Like I, I remember him being way more injured than that when he was in Charlotte. So kind of a similar, uh, you know, start to his 30s, I guess, for Dwight uh, as, as Westbrook. And the other one that came to mind, and, and this is one that I don't think is quite on the same level, but I, I think Kevin Love, when he joined the Cavaliers, had a pretty massive drop off. And I think a lot of people felt like he got exposed, um, you know, no longer essentially being just like the only good player on a bad team and putting up big numbers. And, and he too, I think shouldered a lot of the blame when that Cavs team didn't win it all right away. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's fair, but he, he also kind of had a redemption arc as well with the Cavaliers when they did win the title. He had his defensive stand against Steph Curry. But Um, to be fair, I mean, he was like borderline, on his way out of the rotation at times for that team. You know, I mean, that, that defensive stop was, it felt like somewhat of a fluke. I mean, I'm glad it happened to him. He's handled this whole thing way better than Westbrook has. Um, but I mean, things were not looking good for, for Kevin Love until they won that title. Yeah. I mean, during that title run, he shot only 39% from the field yeah. for those 20 games in 2015, 16. So it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, the shooting hasn't been great in general in the playoffs, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good comparison. And also like, it's a, um, I, I think it's a, it's a fair comparison in the sense that like he basically joined a big three and then he was the one who his numbers went down and his like efficiency wasn't great either. Like he just, the fit was just so, it just was not for him in the same way that like this fit on the Lakers team is just not for Westbrook. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really good way to put it. I have a couple of things I want to hit uh, on our way out. We'll, we'll kind of go rapid fire through a few topics. How close is Evan Mobley versus Scotty Barnes going to end up being for rookie of the year? Because I, I don't know that we're going to see Evan Mobley again. That's not a guarantee uh, before the end of the regular season. So he might, you know, he might end up losing essentially like the last 10 games of the year with this sprained ankle. He's already been ruled out for the next three and they're going to take it day to day from there. He's minus 400. Right now on DraftKings, Scotty Barnes is plus 200. That gap is narrowing. It, it does feel like, you know, the more you read and the more you listen, there's starting to be a little bit of an upswell for like, hey, the Cavs are no longer, you know, they're not 10, 10 wins ahead of Toronto like they were at the halfway point. Like these teams are basically even at this point. And, and you could argue that Scotty Barnes on the whole has been just as impactful, uh, playing a ton of minutes, playing a, a ton of different roles for this team. 
I, I, I still think Moby's going to win it. I, I would say as of right now, it's going to be, I, I don't know, 70-30 in favor of Mobley. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if this ends up being a really close vote when all is said and done. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know from a fantasy perspective, Barnes has been like way better than Mobley. If you just look oh, at yeah. total production and stuff like that. Although technically, Franz Wagner would be rookie of the year if you did total production. But um, yeah, I mean, Mobley... Maybe I I don't know I've, I I I've kind of debated this because it's like maybe he's still the most impactful rookie in real life if you are like really if you really focus on the defense, um, but I I feel like it, for him it has been like a slow like he started off as like the by far clear favorite came out like guns blaze and people are like oh my god this is you know this guy's a hall of famer and then it's just kind of slowly slowly trickled. The stats have fallen off just a little bit, um, and it just hasn't it hasn't had the same like punch as it did at the beginning of the season. And like you mentioned, at the same time, the Raptors have been trending up. Scotty Barnes is uh, I, he's a different type of defender, right? Like he's more of like a Draymond can kind of float out to like point guards. He's doing a little bit of everything on the ball. Uh, Mobley is like, yeah, he can switch out onto the perimeter, but he's mostly a, a, a protecting the rim guy. I think there's a pretty good chance Scotty Barnes wins. So, like, if it, I wouldn't, I would not bet Evan Mobley minus 400. Let's put it that way. I would not bet that. I would much rather bet the Scotty Barnes plus 250. Yeah. I mean, it's just horrific value, regardless. Uh, I know. If you're talking about the Mobley odds, but no, I mean, I mean, Scotty Barnes in the last three days has moved from plus 600 to plus 200. And Evan Mobley three days ago was minus a thousand, and now he is minus four hundred. So there, there is legitimate movement here. I mean, what do you, I, is Cade Cunningham just not a fact? Is it just the Pistons are like way too bad for Cade to to factor in here? Because I guess if, I don't know. I mean, if you if you just take out like if you just start from December and go onward, like if you basically take out that like beginning stretch of Cade's career where he was like hurt and still trying to figure it out he's like 19 points a game six assists sort of efficient shooting i mean i, I guess the defense really puts it in favor of barnes like the defense plus the winning aspect i guess hands it to barnes but i don't think cunningham should be like i don't know i feel like i'm almost being that guy who's like tomorrow DeRozan has to be in the discussion for mvp <laughs> no i'm with you man kate kate had arguably his best offensive game of the year i thought against brooklyn uh, last night, uh, he was 34 points, six assists, two steals, five threes, uh, went, was going toe to toe with KD and Kyrie for a lot of that game. At his last 15, he's up to 22 and a half points, six rebounds, seven assists, one steal, 48% from the field, 32% from three. I, I think in a normal year, it would be like all three of these guys would be neck and neck. But I, I think when you have two guys who are both on ascending playoff teams, you know, like normally I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say winning should be a part of this award at all because typically all of the candidates are Jalen green types. You know, they're just kind of guys who are early in their career. They're padding stats on bad teams. And, you know, normally those guys become better players, but I, I, it's pretty rare that you have two of the three best rookies on, you know, solid playoff teams that have been in playoff territory all year. Right. And it's not like the, uh, it's not like the Raptors have been like the healthiest team in the league either. So it's like Barnes no. has been doing a lot, right? Barnes is the second most games played on the team. Yeah, he's been the healthiest guy. Exactly. Like Siakam, 62 games. Van Vliet, 61 games. Ananobi, 45 games, right? That's the core. Um, so Barnes has been their healthiest guy. He's kind of been the glue to some extent. So I get where you're coming from if you want to say like mm -hmm. Barnes should – like that should factor in. Because if you just look at the raw numbers, he's fourth in points on the team, second in blocks – fourth in steals, third in assists, second in rebounds. Um, and like, he's been the healthiest guy and it's a playoff team. So, you know, I guess I'm talking myself into it a little bit. So I, you know, the odds are not as good as if you would have really been on this like a week ago, but I still think it's a good opportunity to, to grab him now. All right. So we'll end on this. We, we, we have some news flowing in for this huge Wednesday night slate. Across your fantasy teams at large this season, who are the guys who either hurt or helped you the most? And you, it's, I'm not saying you have to have these guys on like four or five teams, but you know, notable 
guys who you said like, wow, this is such a great value, either where I drafted or, or bought in an auction or picked up early or someone who, you know, just completely tanked one of your teams because you bought in a little too hard. <laughs> um, well, I have DeMar DeRozan on my keeper league and our stake league. So that helped me out a lot. Um, I think that, that was a huge addition for me. Siakam, I felt like was a great buy low because the injury early in the season, that really helped me out a lot. Um, Garland helped me a lot. Um, trying to think of guys that like really let me down. I know there have been some off the top of my head. Oh, like Malik Beasley. I thought he was going to like have a decent year. He's been pretty bad. Uh, I picked up Brunson. That was pretty good. Uh, you know, the SGA stuff with like the constant injuries, that's been tough. John Collins, mm-hmm. uh, from the injury perspective has been really tough for me. So, uh, you know, and my Julius Randall stock in the keeper league has not, uh, it's been down, so to speak <laughs> this season. I, I said to you last night, like truly a good old fashioned takedown by the New York post, like articles that you just like, don't see anymore just because teams and reporters, everybody has different interests and you just don't really see an outlet published it was basically just like a list of like here are all the things that julius randall has done that the knicks don't like and <laughs> right. it was just one after another like hit after hit like nothing positive about randall it was it was amazing uh and it basically concluded with like this guy's not going to be in new york next year he's going to try to force his way out but wh- where's julius randall going to end up at this point like what team is is like lining up to take julius randall like is he going to force his way to the orlando magic <laughs> uh that's a great question yeah i don't i don't know what the move is there i mean the it's not like the Knicks are in like a like a bad position to tank, right? They're gonna get a pretty good pick this year. I'm I'm a quickly guy. I think quickly's good. Um maybe you want a little more room for Bear to develop, so getting Randall out of there helps. Um, you know, the crowd the, the fans in New York love Toppin. Quentin Grimes has gotten some love. So like I don't know. I mean, maybe as an organization, I'm sure it's tough to be like, yeah, we had this great year and it really was just a flash of the pan. And it's just like, it's over. Like Thibodeau's got to be gone. Let's get rid of Randall. Let's actually do this rebuild thing. I'm sure it's tough to do, but it's, pro- it's probably their only option. It's looking pretty bleak. Uh, the, the King of New York, like nine months ago is now, uh, I, I actually just, I think I missed the clip, the game that had happened where he got like, he secured a rebound to basically seal the game. And then while the rest of the team was celebrating and like shaking hands, he just like, he like literally whipped the ball behind him and just went to the locker room by himself. Uh, And that, that piece included a note that this is like laugh out loud, funny to me for some reason that he is no longer taking part in pregame introductions as a starter during road games. Uh, You know, so like when you you go, you go through the little tunnel and they they introduce you, he's instead opting to just continue warming up while the rest of the team goes through intros. That's, that's so <laughs> passive aggressive. Like, that's, that's, that's a never before seen move. That's that's like a. I'm surprised LeBron has not tried that this year. Yeah, actually, yeah, with his it's a very LeBron thing still, to do. Yeah, um, that's crazy. I did not. I didn't. I didn't get that far in the article. I must have skimmed it and just like did not see that. But that is hilarious to me. Yeah, they they did sneak it in. Um, and I I remember thinking like this should be the headline. Like he's not going through pregame <laughs> yeah. intros. This is insane. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any guys that I that have burned me. I made all good picks, all good buys. <laughs> uh, really, no mistakes. I'm gonna win every league, so we, we could just skip that. Uh, no, I, I, I quite a few, obviously. We've been through them a bunch of times. I mean, most notably Paul George missing time. Um, yeah, Adebayo still ended up finishing. Where is he right now? He's 59th in total value in eight cat, which, considering how much time he missed, is not so bad. I, I can't really say that he single-handedly tanked my teams. But I feel like a lot of the guys um, – I did have Miles Bridges in, in a couple leagues, and he helped me big time there. But a lot of the you know big-time risers this year, like Tyrese Halliburton is number 12 right now in 8-cat total value, partially because he's played 71 games. But he's also second in the league in total steals. I, I had him for part of the season in Keeper League, ended up dealing him for, for a little bit more of a win-now piece. But I didn't really have him in any of my redraft leagues at all. Um, I think I only had Tatum on one team. I pretty much made the executive decision to stay away from Joel Embiid. I, right. James and I had like a lot of extensive talks about this in the fall. And we, he just kept saying like, dude, what are, what are the chances that he has another 
like best case scenario season back to back in terms of injuries. And I was like, you know what? You're right. He's probably going to get hurt. He's probably going to miss a ton of time and he's going to end up playing close to 70 games here and finish <laughs> first or second in the MVP. So I, I don't know. He's kind of in that Chris Paul territory for me now where like, I've also been avoiding Chris Paul, just waiting for the next injury to come. And it's now burned me in three straight seasons, but I don't know. I, I mean, at some point with Embiid, maybe we just have to decide that he's, he's moved past like those horrific injury issues when he was 19. Well, the, the Chris Paul thing too is like age does factor into that a little bit. Like he's, he's an aging guy also on a young team where like those guys could start playing well. That one I think is more understandable. I'm also not an Embiid guy. I'm not sure I've ever drafted Embiid in fantasy, to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't think um, I have either. Cause I, I'm like a high floor guy when it comes to early in the drafts, like first five, five ish rounds. I'm pretty high floor. Then I start getting more risky. But, um, and like, I know anybody can get hurt, but it's just situations like that. And like, he could just as easily, you know, like, well, at the beginning of the season, he was dealing with a knee injury, right? Like it seemed like he was going to be dealing with that all season. And then he's, he's just kind of like powered through it. So it's not like he's been completely avoiding injuries. He was like noticeably hurt to start the year. I will say, I think my, my best call of the year uh, not that anyone's asking is I made a point to get Pascal Siakam pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And ironically, cause he was hurt coming into the year and we, we didn't really know how much time he was going to miss. Ironically, he ranks higher in total value than per game value right now, because everyone else in the wow. league has missed so much time that it basically offset the fact that he missed the first 15 games of the year. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was a good buy too. I mean, I, I got him in, the, in our uh, stake auction league pretty cheap. And um, like, it's just, if a guy's going to miss like 10 or 15 games, yeah, it's built in and maybe he misses 15 more and it's tough. But like at a certain point, it's like, I'm going to take the upside. Like, I'm just going to like deal with it and stream guys off the wire for a couple of weeks. Like it's not that big of a deal for someone to miss the first 15 weeks when everything's still getting sorted out. Like, um, yeah, I think, I think that's something to consider going forward is like, don't, don't be afraid to take those guys like around earlier than they're getting drafted just to like get them. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to look up Siakam's ADP right now as my, my internet is giving me some trouble. But yeah, I mean, it basically came down to, you know, I, I think he was going, I want to say I got him in like the seventh or eighth round of one draft. And it was a smaller league. I think it was 10, 10 teams. So there is that. But um, I mean, it comes down to, it's like, all right, do I want Pascal Siakam who, like, there's just, there's like this inherent bias, I think, when you know a guy is out to begin the year. Uh, whereas if someone said like, he's going to miss 15 games throughout the year versus he's going to miss these first 15 games, there's something scary about that. But like the guy right next to him in ADP was Derek White. And it's like, do I want Derek White or <laughs> someone in Siakam who I think has just way more upside? He was going on average right in the middle of the sixth round in Yahoo League. the so ADP of almost 69 uh, overall, 68.6, uh, which still ahead of Darius Garland, by the way, which I think went down as wow. one of the better values of the season. But you know, Siakam was going after Colin Sexton. He was going after Isaiah Stewart, uh, after Draymond Green, um, even after Kyrie with, with all the uncertainty that was surrounding him at that time is kind of crazy. Uh, so that, that was kind of the one, the, the one like really good value that I can cling to. And the leagues that I'm doing well in, he is a, a major reason why. Yeah. Yeah. Siakam, like you mentioned, I, Yahoo was the, the format in which he was going the latest, like he was going 48th and ESPN. Although I feel like a lot of those get auto drafted. Um, yeah, there, there are situations like that every year where it's like, I, I guess a good comparison would be like, would you rather just take the chance on Siakam or draft Gordon Hayward? Who's also being drafted similarly. It's like, yeah, Gordon yeah. Hayward is going to start the year healthy but his upside in general is lower and he's probably going to miss 15 to 30 games anyway. Um, you know, some of this is a revisionist history because we both drafted Siakam, but it's, it's yeah. stuff like that where like a lot of times that's where you win the drafts, you know, is like picks, you, you know, your, your fourth to your like eighth pick. Um, and then being really aggressive on the, mm -hmm. on the waivers with like stuff early on. Um, a lot of times it's how you win drafts and like price enforcing it. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to try to be, Right. I, I think I'm going to try to be a little more aggressive next year. And like, I, I usually just play it safe and, you know, look at like, I just try to go with guys who have a history of playing 70 plus games. And, and this year in a lot of ways just taught me that, that it's kind of foolish, you know, like 
at, at some point, Damian Lillard's going to stop playing 75 games a year. And this was the year, you know, Paul George has been relatively healthy, you know, since snapping his leg with team USA. Uh, this was not the year to have Paul George. You know, Bam Adebayo has played like almost every game since entering the league. All of a sudden he misses 20 games in the middle of the year. So yeah, I, I think, you know, targeting guys like Siakam targeting, especially in the middle rounds, like if there's someone that you think that you could draft at 60 and he could finish 30th overall, to me, that makes way more sense than taking the known commodity with a very known ceiling. But then again, I guess the, the counterpoint to that is DeMar DeRozan ranks 13th overall right now. <laughs> right. And this is why, like, I don't know, the, the more we've been doing fantasy, the more I do like the auction, or I guess now they're called salary cap leagues, where it's like, you can sort of, I try to avoid that issue entirely by just drafting a bunch of like fringe all-stars and just like building a super balanced team where if someone gets hurt, doesn't really crush me. Um, yeah. Cause if you go kind of stars and scrubs, um, which is inevitably like how some like standard uh, dra drafts go, you know, cause the first three rounds, two, three rounds are so weighty. If one of those guys gets hurt, it's just really tough to recover. All right, man. We got to wrap this thing up. You got to hop on TV. Make sure you're checking out Alex and I on VEASAN if you have that channel. Uh, YouTube TV, I know it's on there. It's on a bunch of other streaming services. But uh, been having a lot of fun chatting with those guys, talking sports betting. And we get a lot more sports gambling content or NBA betting content, I should say, uh, once the playoffs kick into high gear in a couple weeks here. But Alex, good chat with you as always, and we'll be back soon. <laughs>